AM 790 Talk and Business presents Water Fire Ignites Rhode Island with your host, Bronwyn Dannenfelser. Join Bronwyn to hear about the next Water Fire event in downtown Providence, plus other great cultural events happening in the community. Now, here's your host, Bronwyn Dannenfelser. And hello, 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 everybody, and happy Thursday. Can you feel that winter in the air and Christmas is upon us and the holidays? And I hope everyone's getting all geared up and happy. I certainly am. I'm looking at Christmas trees everywhere and everything just seems so festive. And I've been listening to my friend Paul Giamarco over there on a Light 105 and all of those incredible Christmas carols. And they really just help get you in the spirit. And then just everybody seems to be in a very much uplifted mood, which is uh, or at least that I've been coming in contact with. Um, so that's been really wonderful. Uh, but I hope you are having a great day and getting ready for the holidays and a little bit of holiday cheer. Uh, and we got a lot of cheer to talk about in many different ways today. Um, we're going to be speaking with our dear friend John Skank, who is the publisher of Edible Roadie. Um, he's also a Waterfire board member. He is huge at Waterfire. Um, he has been on the development committee and our events committee. We're going to talk a little bit about Waterfire, but then we're going to talk about this latest issue of Edible Roadie, which which is all about cheers, cocktails. So it's cocktail time, and uh, there's lots of great information in Edible Roadie, and we're going to chat about that. And then I've got my wonderful uh, friend Arnell Milhouse, who, a man who wears many, many hats. Uh, he owns the Butter Day Spa. i got to put the plug in for the Butter Day Spa because if you want to get somebody a really cool Christmas gift, um, <laughs> like me, um, you, you can get him a gift certificate to the Butter Day Spa, which is uh, right up near Moses Brown in Providence. And uh, he and his wife, Alicia, are just absolutely amazing. And it's a great way to unwind. And then you can go have a cocktail after that. And John's going to tell us where to do that. And uh, then finally, we're going to wrap up with the managing director of Waterfire, uh, Peter Mello, who, you know, we just uh, we've been really on a, a really fun trajectory uh, this year with our, our new building and a lot of different awards. And recently, Peter and Barnaby uh, from Waterfire, um, the leaders, received the 2016 AIA Rhode Island Archistar Award. And if you're wondering what that, uh, that's about, it uh, has to do with all of their hard work in the Waterfire Arts Center. And Peter's going to give us a little bit of information about that. So now that I've chatted your ear off telling you about what we're going to talk about, um, I think it's time to introduce my first guest and start talking about... Not only celebrations and cheers at Waterfire, but again, cheers to Edible Roadie. So, hello, John. Hi, Bronwyn. How are you doing today? Doing great. Yeah. You, good night. Good day. Yeah. Yeah. I'm looking forward to a cocktail. <laughs> All right. Well, because that's what we're going to talk about. But yeah. I first have to say, were you not so excited this week? Um, and for those of you out there who are not aware, Waterfire was one of the clues um, on Jeopardy that yeah. pinpointed our city of Providence. So yeah, so there was you know the, the the answer was Providence, but the whole lead up to it was uh, I read the layup to it was about water fire with the great pictures of the fires and the boats going down through the river, which was so much fun. Yeah, it was awesome. I know, and I was I was getting like messages from my friends in Colorado and uh, in California saying, oh my gosh, water fire is on Jeopardy. 
We made it, John. We're huge. We're huge. <laughs> <laughs> and we're coming off of a really phenomenal, as I was saying, um, trajectory right now. Actually, we're on one, but we had a great event called the Fireball in our new building. So what do you think about that, John? Well, the F- Fireball was the best party that's ever been thrown in Rhode Island, I think. Uh, at least no one's contradicted that. Uh, right. <laughs> I can't imagine why they would. Uh, a great party. 500 people came. Um, the, the 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 big shots and the regular shots all came. Mm-hmm. The There was so much going on that your head was spinning. Uh, lots to eat, lots to drink, lots to talk about. And uh, the party really was in honor of the Sharp family, which has done so much in our state over the years. Yes. And although they're very modest and didn't want to have much hoopla uh, drawn to them, uh, it was time to recognize what they've done. And, and I think that that um, was very appropriate, and everybody was glad to be part of it. And it was really neat because last year was our first fireball, remember? Yeah. And so that's when we had kind of almost just first acquired the building. Right. And we really hadn't started the big build-out yet. And then this year, we've seen so much progress going into that building, and it is such a beautiful canvas. Um, yeah. We're, we're going to have the water fire offices. What what excites you the most about that building and the possibilities? Well, I think that right now what's so exciting and, and was so exciting about having the party there was that it's still a work in progress, but you were able to see how much has been done and what a fantastic space it's going to be. It, it, it is already. It was a, you know, it was a, it was a factory, mm-hmm. and so it's got that real rough-hewn industrial feel. It's a big open space. It's almost cathedral-like in its size, and um, so it's going to be a great spot for a lot of parties to come. And and we're partnering with Russ Morin, yep. um, who's going to be doing events there, and I think it'll be the premier destination in in in, in Rhode Island. For big events and special of uh, uh, special affairs. Well, people have already started booking. I don't know if you know that, but we've been bringing people through the building, and so is Rusty. Um, and people are booking like literally up until 2018. Something came through today where oh, that's great. Somebody wants to hold a big party for 600 to 1,000 people, and they want to do it somewhere a little bit different. We got but that. We got different. <laughs> We're water fire. Yeah. That's what we do. And at that party, just, you know, I, I got to put it in another little plug here because I was I was flipping through this issue, which is so incredible, the drinks issue, um, because you do something every season with Edible Brody, mm-hmm. right? Um, I noticed Little Bitter Artisanal and Willa Van Nostrand, and she was at the fireballs. She was. And she was serving up some really Mixing crazy cocktails. Mixing up some killer drinks. Yeah. I know. Yeah, you, you couldn't have too many because they went down too easy. And Too suddenly easy. it was like, woo! And I kept telling myself they were healthy because there was herbs in uh, them. Right. But yeah, I know. <laughs> <laughs> Rationalization is wonderful, isn't it? Yeah, it's, good. it's a good thing. <laughs> so, John, tell us about Edible Rhodey. So, Edible Rhodey is um, one of a group of now about 80 uh, edible magazines around the country. Um, it's a, it, If you want to publish an edible magazine, you have to be in a market that doesn't have one already. Mm-hmm. Um, and you buy a license from Edible Communities Incorporated, which is based in uh, California. And um, Edible Communities was started by two ladies in Ojai, California, who started a little local newsletter called Edible Ojai. And the next thing they knew, they were uh, in uh, Sever Magazine as one of the 100 hot food ideas of the year. Mm-hmm. Uh, then they heard from a couple in Cape Cod who wanted to do the same thing in Cape Cod and needed permission. And the next thing the 
ladies knew they were in the licensing business. Nice. And so now there there are almost uh, 90 of them around the country. Edible Roadie was one of the early ones. We're going to celebrate our 10th anniversary uh, this coming year. Congratulations. Thank that, you. That's a, that's a milestone. Yeah, it's a it's a huge milestone, and I'm, I'm, I'm not sure that when my partner, Jeannie Trevor, our editor, and I uh, took the magazine over uh, nine years ago that we thought we'd still be doing it in 2017, but here we go. And yep. <laughs> yeah. And it's been it's been a ball. It, it it couldn't be a more fun thing to do. So what makes this magazine specifically more different than if I wanted to go pick up a food and wine magazine or? Well, specifically, um, Edible Roadie is all Rhode Island. Our our we only cover. Um, people and places in the food world in the state of Rhode Island. And our contributors are local, and our photographers and, and, and artists are local. So even though we're part of a national organization, we are as local as you can get, and we are advocates for the local food community. And that's, that's how we really see our role. Well, and as somebody, because you were coming from New York before this, yeah. right? I mean, what do you think when you look at all the restaurants in New York and all the restaurants in Rhode Island? I mean, well, the thing of the thing about that is <laughs> that you'll never get to all the great restaurants in New York, but you can get to all the great restaurants <laughs> in Rhode Island, you know, and, and we have the diversity. Mm-hmm. Uh, we have the talent. We have the food buzz that New York has, but you can park right in front of the restaurant. It's Fancy really that idea. It's 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 so much better. <laughs> <laughs> so because you come from a publishing background, did you? Is your passion of always been partially food as well? Is this yeah? Where this? Yeah. When when I was uh, when I was ten for Christmas, my parents gave me an electric skillet. They, are you kidding? <laughs> no. <laughs> well, all right. What's the first thing that you cooked in that electric skillet? Uh, scrambled eggs. All right. They weren't great. No? No. <laughs> but, you know, I kept trying. Well, and you graduated because we were talking mm-hmm. about this, and we're, we're going to get, I swear we're going to get back around to Edible Roadie and yeah. this specific issue, but um, for anybody out there, so he started in a skillet with scrambled eggs at the age of 10, yeah. right? um, and graduated to having a chili recipe in the New York Times, and I was asking John um, why it's not published in Edible Roti so that we could all make the chili recipe. Well, because I don't want everybody making it, you know, frankly. Oh, but no one will ever be able to make it as well as you do. <laughs> once you, it, you, you know, once you learn how to follow the instructions, uh, it's uh, it's pretty tough to mess up. But it's it's a it's a recipe that goes back uh, to a housekeeper in the San Antonio area of Texas, Rosa de la Garza, and she developed this chili recipe and entered it in the first ever San Antonio Chili Festival back in the '60s, and won. And um, and the recipe got written up in the New York Times um, and then lost. No one at the Times can now find it. Oh. But I kept it. <laughs> and um, I love it. So for a long time in our family, it was known as Dad's Chili. Uh, and for their 21st birthday, all my kids inherited the recipe. And then uh, Amanda Hesser, who's a food ed- who was at that time the food editor at the New York Times, this is about five years ago, called me because she'd had it at my house. Mm-hmm. And asked if she could put it in the New York Times cookbook, and I said, "Well, really, you know, what comes around goes around, and here we go." That's awesome. All right, yeah. so now let's get back to this edible roadie. One, okay, 
have you ever done just a pure drinks issue before? No, this is our first drinks issue. And um, we wanted to make sure that it wasn't just cocktails because there's so much going on in the beverage uh, world in, in Rhode Island. In fact, there's so much going on that for this issue, we had to uh, create our very first gatefold cover, which means that when you open the cover up, it extends out to be a spread. Yeah. Uh, and there are nine beverage artisans um, uh, posing for their pictures in the cover of Edible Roadie. And I'll just quickly name them all because um, yeah, they do. cover the waterfront in terms of what kinds of things they do. We start going from left to right with, with uh, Sean Larkin from Trinity Brewhouse. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, then uh, uh, Amanda Raposo from a Raposa from a fully rooted juice company, which is a company that makes cold-pressed fruit juices. They sell them at farmer's markets. Oh, wow. And they're thinking about, you know, getting a bottling license and going a little bigger time. And then we have uh, Nancy Parker Wilson from Greenvale Vineyard uh, in uh, Middletown. Yeah. Um, And from New Harvest Coffee, Mike Kleinfeld, uh, followed by... Sons of Liberty Distillers, Mike Rapucci. They have the best whiskey. Sorry to interrupt. Yeah, it's really good. Isn't that good? Yeah, it's delicious. Sorry. It's delicious. Try some. Uh, And then Little Bitto. There's Willow. Yeah. Uh, And then Jen Brinton from Graysale down in Westerly, which makes, uh, it's a, a, uh, you know, a local brewery. Okay. They make terrific beers and ales down in in, uh, Westerly. Uh, Yacht Club Sodas. Uh, John Scambato, uh, who's inherited the business, and last but by no means least, uh, Robin Squibb of Granny Squibb's Iced Teas. Yes, I've met her before. What a lovely lady. Yeah, she's great. Lady. Uh, and, you know, the funny thing, wasn't it the Yacht Club that did that before the election? They Yes. They did two different types of sodas, like one <laughs> yeah. was red and one was blue. Yeah, and... they, did, they did one for each candidate. <laughs> who, did, who did they have winning? Were they right? I, I'm not sure that they were going sticking their necks out uh, no. to that degree. Oh, okay. Because I thought they were kind of see how many like how many bottles they were selling of each, and I didn't know what the the end result was. Do people go for the red or the blue? I would guess in Rhode Island they probably went for the blue. I would but, think so, yeah. but you never know. No, you never know. <laughs> so you know, we were talking about the great. Um, industries that we have here and the great craft beer industry um that seems to be popping up everywhere yeah um in in fact there's a there's a facility going into uh, Pawtucket which will be a shared brewery facility for local craft brewers and um i think that's going to be a real uh, Pawtucket's going to be a real hub for um local brewery fans yeah and um and people who want to Try it out and see if they can make a living at it. I think that's great. You yeah. know, I, I had a friend of mine who used um, Matt Warren, who used to own a place where you could go in and you could make your own beer. Yeah. And then you could bottle it and put your family's name on it or whatever you wanted to do. But there's something about that craftsmanship and like really getting your hands into things. Uh, that when, when when he was in college, my son Will uh, made a beer in a bathtub which he then bottled under the label skanks bad boy oh my god <laughs> <laughs> i hope the bathtub was clean. If, if it didn't make you happy it'd kill you <laughs> oh no <laughs> so now as in this in um so in this issue uh where again where can people get this issue of edible road they can well um the easiest way is to go to uh a um a whole foods 
Mm -hmm. um, in terms of geographical distribution. Uh, but we have a list in the back of the magazine, an advertiser's directory, uh, that lists all the places that are distribution centers for the magazine. You can also access that online yeah. by going to ediblerody.com. But um, there are a lot of a lot of places around the state, restaurants, food markets, coffee shops, uh, where you will find edible roadie uh, um, to pick up. I, I think that also so people should know, because as I was flipping through this, not only for the cocktails, there's just some really wonderful stories in here about, you know, what makes a good bartender. And yeah. You were talking about that you love to go to... Chez Pascal. Chez Pascal. Chez Pascal, where, the, where Regina, the bartender there, makes a killer recipe called a Chez Manhattan. And the recipe is on page 35 of this issue. Uh, and um, it's even better than it looks. It looks irresistible in the photograph. Sure does. Um, but uh, it is. It's a. It's a great, smooth, um, very powerful drink. Um, but but uh, Regina makes a, is a terrific bartender. She also makes a mean martini. Um, but uh, there, there we've got a lot of cocktail recipes. We have food recipes. Great stuff for the holidays here, yeah. actually, as well. I mean, there's um, everything from roti coyote braised pork shoulder, apple celeriac cel yeah. mash, and honey sage roasted winter vegetables. Mm -hmm. You've got soups in here. So, you know, when you're trying to picking your brain and trying to figure out what to do as you have guests over for the holidays, there's a winter root vegetable and farro soup. Yep. And these are all coming from different restaurants that are. These around. are local local chefs provide us with these recipes, and um, local wine merchants provide us with the wine pairings. Mm -hmm. And um, this issue, because we're so focused on local artisan uh, beverages, uh, all of the wine pairings are locally produced wines as well. Oh, nice! Yeah, and and um, you should try them. They're good. And you've also got shopping for wine, because I think yeah. that can be daunting. A lot of people think that you, um, we've been great partners with bottles over yeah. the years, and because of your introduction, actually, John, thank you. Um, but, you know, it, it can be a daunting process knowing what to get. Is the most expensive bottle really the best bottling? Do you really have to go that far? Well, so we, we have a story in, the, in this issue that I worked on where we've um, shown how the wine merchant scene in this state has developed so dramatically over the last 10 years. It used to be hard to find an, uh, a, a knowledgeable wine merchant in, in the state, and now there's a bunch of them. Uh, we write about some of them in this article, and, and basically they all have one thing in common, which is they want to make you a better informed wine shopper. Yep. So they have different ways of going about that, the way they display their wines and, and, and the, 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 the way they lead you to what you want. Um, I think it's Eric Taylor at Bottles who says the first thing we ask is what you don't like. Exactly. Yeah, w which helps them find out what you do like. But well, John, so you've got so much information in this, and you've done such a wonderful job. And congratulations that we're going to be seeing the 10th anniversary of Edible Roadie. Thank you for bringing this to Thank us. Thank you for having me, Brian. Um, I, you know, anytime you want to come back on and talk about recipes or, you know, your favorites and uh, what we can see next, uh, that would be great. And thanks for all the work you do for Waterfire. You're so welcome. I'm loving it. Well, it's a great <laughs> having you on the show, and I'm going to wish you a very happy holiday. Thank you. Friend. You too. All right, everybody, you are listening to Waterfire Ignites Rhode Island here on AM 790, your station for talk and business. And when we return, we'll be speaking with Arnell Milhouse about intra-city geeks. 
So excited. And hello, 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 and ho, ho, ho. Welcome back. You are listening to Waterfire Ignites Rhode Island here on AM 790, your station for talk and business. And we just had a great conversation uh, with the publisher of Edible Roadie. If you have not seen this magazine, go to your Whole Foods, pick it up. It's awesome, and it's also distributed at other small places, but it's about the best food and the best wine, all here in Rhode Island. And this uh, specific issue is the drinks issue, and it was very funny because my next guest, well, he's all about a lot of different things, and as I said uh, in the opening, wears many different hats. Um, but, you know, this issue is all of the drinks issue, and uh, as a uh, Arnell was uh, Arnell Millhouse, who I will introduce in a second, was sitting here, and John Skank was leaving the studio. Um, Arnell said something very interesting to John um, because we know that Arnell owns the Butter Day Spa. We know that Arnell is working diligently and has such a passion for technology and kids, and really just, I guess, showing the right path and way to go. Um, so. I want to say, hello, Arnell Millhouse. How are you, my friend? I am amazingly well. How are you doing? I'm doing great. So I started off that really long run-on sentence there about what you said to John Skank. So on top of the Butter Day Spa and Intercity Geeks, which we're going to focus on later, what did you tell us? I told John and yourself that I was also co-owner of Patois Catering and Events, which is an amazing Caribbean catering food company here in Rhode Island, and that we were featured a year and a half ago in Edible Roadie. Isn't that funny? Yes. <laughs> so it was awesome. Where, where's Patwa um, based, like in Rhode Island? We are based out of Pawtucket. Okay. The great, which has a lot of great artisanal food type corporations bubbling up there. And are you Caribbean? Do I not know this? I'm American. Well, I know. Like, but okay. I play a Caribbean on TV. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. <laughs> uh, well, I just thought that was wonderful. I was like, all right, what what else does Arnell do that we're just not aware of? Yes. But I want to talk about the Intercity Geeks because yes. I can remember years ago. Mm-hmm. I mean, you and I go back quite some time. But a few years ago, you're telling me about this idea and what you were going to do. Mm-hmm. Um, let's tell everybody out there what Intercity Geeks is. Excellent. So Intercity Geeks is an organization that focuses on spreading the understanding in, of computer science to as many people as possible. And there are two markets that we look at. We look at the underserved and the underskilled. Mm-hmm. The underserved are primarily in urban environments, but then the underskilled are everywhere because there are so few people. <laughs> Check. <laughs> I'm holding up my finger here. <laughs> that would be me. <laughs> and so we're trying to find every single person who isn't, conversant in computer science, computer programming, algorithms, data structures, artificial intelligence, machine learning, and you can go on and on and on. And we're holding classes in schools from K through 12, all the way up to 99. And when did did you um, start? We started in 2015. Okay, so between 2000... you, I mean, this is just, you're, you're in the baby stage of this business, but you've yes. already been um, recognized by President Obama for the work that you've been doing. Yes. Um, what was that like, and, and when was that, and how did that come about? That was, 
Well, let's see if I can remember. Mm, August 4th, 2015 <laughs> at 1230 p.m. Yeah. <laughs> and... Well, the work that we were doing, we got published in the Brown Daily Herald Mm -hmm. on January 21st of 2015. Then it was picked up by Providence Business News, a couple of interviews there. They did the five questions with R&L Milhouse, and the program began to grow. Hillary Sammons from PASA, the Providence After School Alliance, we connected, and she really helped get our program into about a a half a dozen schools quickly. And that really helped us scale. So we're... Major shout-out to PASA. They're doing great, great work. From there, the word began to spread, and it made it to the White House. And so we received an email talking about a a large White House um, collaborative event that they were doing when they wanted to bring recognition to corporations across America that were focusing on inclusive entrepreneurship mm-hmm. and computer science for all. And they asked, you know, if we would be willing to have our name mentioned by the president. And I said, did you think it was a fake email? I did at first. All right. I did because <laughs> I have a lot of geeky friends that can send fake emails. Yes. And so I'm I'm looking at the routing information and the headers of the email exchange to make sure it comes from whitehouse.gov. Yeah. And it did. Oh, my God. So I said, wow, this is this is the real deal. This is legit. So how many people are in the program? And when you look at um and. and what are the age groups? That you, I mean, you said you're starting at kindergarten, essentially. Um, tell, tell me a little bit more about the demographics. and. Yeah, so again, so at the youngest age, we have kindergartners coming through, and we're teaching them. We, we try to make computer science fun because one of the reasons why people, we don't have millions of people running into this lifestyle or this career choice is that it's not the easiest thing. There's a lot of problem solving and you have to have at least the ability to think computationally Mm -hmm. if not some type of foundation in mathematics but what I've learned and what InterCity Geeks has taken away by working with the children that are younger they don't understand calculus trigonometry and other high levels of mathematics so but you have to be able to explain the same type of computational concepts to them yeah and so by doing it at the K through fourth grade level, it has really helped us to reach out to other individuals who may not have, that are adults, mm-hmm. that don't have strong mathematical training, but are interested in doing this. So we're able to really use some of the similar types of analogies and segues to help them learn. So it's really helped broaden our field to go from, like I said, from K to 99. Yeah. For instance, some of the events that we do we're, we run an, a meetup once a month it's called code night with the mayor we do that for mayor lorza in providence rhode island and we have people that are coming in 60 70 years old that are looking to learn and that is really really amazing as well so you can be any age and really come in and take take to this all it requires is the ability to stick with it and so one of the things that we always talk about there are two mindsets there are people with fixed mindsets, and then there's a growth mindset. Mm-hmm. The people with fixed mindsets believe that you have to be skilled or come from a certain background and have a certain pedigree or be naturally gifted at something, born with this talent. But there really are, there's no one like that on this planet. Everyone has either received great training while they were younger or they've gone to great schooling and education systems. The growth mindset says that 
if you simply apply yourself, you don't give up. Yeah. You're going to run into failures. You're going to run into problems. And those things, failure is a good thing because it really helps you understand that it's, a, it's an issue of hard work and diligence that breeds success more so than anything else. So this is what I love. So after hearing everything that you just said, when I think about what you're doing in schools, you are teaching problem solving. You're teaching life coping skills, essentially, as yes. you just put yes, it. You yes. know that failure is okay and failure is good because it, yes. uh, it helps bring things around. But also, I mean, you are a technological geek, you would call yourself, right? Yes. Um, and I'll ask you how where that passion comes from in a second. But I see the world is moving in that direction anyway, and yes. especially if you're going into underserved and under underskilled or underskilled and underserved areas, mm-hmm. um, or where there's you know especially urban areas where maybe some people don't have the same opportunities mm-hmm. afforded to them as in other places, and you're teaching them some skills that could yes. actually just skyrocket them into another place. Yes. So it really isn't just teaching somebody how to code; you're actually teaching life skills at the Correct. same time. Absolutely. Which I think that's that to me is just so uplifting. Yes. All right, so what got you into this though? I mean, you say have you always had a passion for technology or? So this is really really interesting. And I was born in Boston, mm-hmm. grew up in the South End, Dorchester, and then a, an unfortunate series of events caused my mother to get sick, ill. She lost one of her lungs, and we moved to an area in Boston called Roxbury. It's a really really tough neighborhood. A lot of gunfire, gang violence, things of that nature. After a few years, my mother, we, we had to go on housing. We were on welfare. And my mother came from a gainfully employed background, and then we were you know, up against the rocks. So she used her housing certificate to move us to Cape Cod, mm-hmm. Dennis, Massachusetts. All right. And it was a night and day transformation. I had never worked on a computer. I never saw a computer. I was in seventh grade at the time. I get to Cape Cod, there are computers in the classrooms, and I remember working in the math class one day, and I was at the overhead, and I was using a program called Mr. Wizard Teaches Math. Okay. And the teacher got caught outside of the room for a moment to speak to another teacher or someone. So while I was there, I was at the computer, I started playing around, and I got into the source code, which is a software, and I started looking at the code, and I understood some of the things that it was saying. One of the things it said, if you got a question right, it said, congratulations, you're almost as smart as Mr. Wizard. Mm-hmm. And if you got something wrong, it says, oh, no, you got that wrong, but don't give up. Try again. I changed it to say, congratulations, you're almost as smart as Arnell if you got something right. <laughs> and That's great. And if you got something wrong, it says, oh, no, keep that up. We're going to make you go sit next to Joey, <laughs> who was the kid that I wanted to bust his chops. Oh, so the teacher comes back in. Someone else sits at the computer, and my responses that I made are showing up on a screen, and the class is in hysterics. Mm-hmm. The teacher says, Arnell, I need to talk to you after, this cl- after class. She, I say after class, I thought I was in trouble. I show her what I did, and she says, you understand all of this? I said, yeah, why? You don't? I thought everyone did. I'm like, well, no, it's pretty, so she, it's pretty clear to me. She introduced me to another a computer teacher at the school that was at Wixon Middle School, and I got hooked. Yeah. I got really, really hooked. And then I went to high school at Dennis Charmouth Regional High School, Go D.Y. Dolphins. <laughs> Mrs. Hamlin was a teacher there. And I began to see that technology was a way for my family to escape poverty. Yeah. And I said, this is a way out for myself. 
from my relatives and as I I just gave it my all gave it every single thing I had and I was pl making video games and playing around and having great times with it and g later on you graduate from college and went to Johnson and Wales and working for a great startup companies in Boston making more money than I could have ever 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 I remember getting my first offer letter from a startup company with stock options and things of that nature and yeah. I thought my mother she ended up passing away my freshman year of college but I said I understood why she moved us to Cape Cod mm -hmm. and that's really a great segue because as I was traveling back from Cape Cod to Boston to visit our family on holidays and special occasions birthdays I began to notice a, a divergence a dichotomy between what I was living in my upbringing and my friends and some of my families my vernacular my diction mm -hmm. was beginning to change I was taking Latin magna cum celeritate pula santa curricula and no one in Boston was no one was taking those things we lived on the seventh hole of the Dennis Pines golf course and you know it, it was it transformed my life and so I said I need to create an organization that will do what my mother's trip to Cape Cod did for me for everyone and so that's this is really because we can't move everyone to Cape Cod no but that's why you're taking it into the streets essentially yes. I mean you are taking it to the streets so. yes we are love that song too remember that song taking the, it to the, the streets, streets. <laughs> but the thing is I, I, I was reading recently in uh, Providence Business News that you had this great hackathon or oh the hackathon yes so hack our ride came with the concept last summer we got to get this out quick because then I'm going to bring seconds. it back with me mm -hmm. and so we worked with RIPTA, the Rhode Island Public Transit Authority. They have this new open data initiative, and we created a, a hackathon around their data set. Yeah. And we had a gr group of about 100 programmers, hackers, that came together over the weekend, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday, spent the entire weekend coming up with different apps and programs. And Splitwise, MojoTech, a company called R Squared, they created great projects for RIPTA that RIPTA is now looking to actually implement. But we, something that we did over a two-month period would have normally taken months or years, and yeah. who knows how much money and revenue. Well, yeah. and actually, just to get the different perspectives, you know, yes. and sometimes you, you need those openings and different perspectives. Everybody, I'm, I'm going to bring Arnell back with me, and do you mind staying on for the rest of the show with me, and we'll talk to Peter together about the AIA award that uh, Waterfire is doing, but do you have I'm time? I'm going to see what I can do. See what you can do. I, I, you can do it. It's only another 10 minutes, my friend. Everybody, you're listening to Waterfire Ignites Rhode Island here on AMC. 790, your station for talk and business, and we're talking about the Intracity Geeks. Cool, 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 cool group. Um, and then we're going to be back in a second, and we're going to talk a little bit more about that, and then back to Waterfire, talking to our massive and wonderful managing director, Peter Mello, about a great new award uh, that we received last week.
And hello, 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 and welcome back. You are listening to Water Fire Ignites Rhode Island here on AM 790, your station for talk and business. And a big shout out to our underwriters and supporters on National Grid and Lifetime Medical. Without them, we could not bring you the great interviews and great information uh, like we've been bringing you today. So quickly, I want to get back to Arnell Milhouse, um, who's the head of and the CEO of Intercity Geeks, because he's got to run out of here in about two minutes because he's teaching a class of like 150 people. But Arnell, just to kind of, you know, just finish things up and circle around, tell us, you know, the the most important things about Intercity Geeks that we need to let people know. So while we do teach a lot in the school systems, there are ways that people who are outside of the school systems or maybe out of school, out of high school, can come and learn. We do Code Night with the Mayor the second Wednesday of every month at the downtown Providence Public Library. And then if they Google Providence Code Camp, they can also come out on the weekends. We have twice a month on Saturdays, we have meetups mm-hmm. throughout the city where people can come and learn coding. And we do this throughout the entire year. So no matter what age you are, we have a program and a place when you can get in and fit in. The other thing that's really amazing is that if you look at what Governor Raimondo is doing, the push for computer science in Rhode Island, her mantra, CS4RI, is legitimate. She's pushing it in the grade schools. She's pushing it at the adult level. Announcements literally every week coming out. And next week on Wednesday, December 14th at the Ryan Center, Mm -hmm. she's having a computer science summit, over a 1,000 people, dozens of companies, hundreds of individuals showing off their computer science talents and technologies that were created here in this state. It starts from... 9 a.m., and mm-hmm. it runs through 1230, December 14th at the Ryan Center at URI. Are you going to be promoting that on your Intercity Geeks webpage so that people can find out more information about that? or They can look for Rhode Island Computer Science Summit, Okay. and well, they'll find it. Excellent. Well, you know, I've got to tell you, you're doing phenomenal work. Congratulations. Uh, started in 2015. I already been invited to the White House doing hackathons, helping us with RIPTA and some of our issues there. And then Peter Mello, my managing director, has walked in the door, and we're going to be talking about things. But Peter, I think we need to get Arnell um, over to Waterfire to help us do like some crazy fun app stuff. Maybe. Absolutely. Yeah, and you know, I think he was talking about creating a game for kids, which would be a lot of fun, you know, know. so when they would come to the website, there would be something and, you know, there'd be a great, we could have a contest and stuff. So, Arnold, we're going to say goodbye to you, but uh, we're going to put you to work. Happy holidays, my friend. All right. So, Peter, thank you so much for coming in. I was laughing because I thought I was calling you, and and you were writing me. I'm here, and I thought you meant you were there by your phone at the office. But welcome. Welcome to the studio. It's always great to be here with you. It's always fun. And and I was talking to John Skank, who was on our board in the beginning of the show, and uh, we were talking about the great success of the fireball and the incredible trajectory that water fires on um, due to your leadership in getting the building and our new building on Valley Street and you know we're, we're really moving but as part of you know the, all of these wonderful things that are happening um, there was a big award that you and Barnaby got last week yeah we were pretty lucky yeah I want to let's tell people about it yeah so um, Barnaby and I were nominated and received the American Institute of Architects uh, Archistar Award 2016 Archistar Award, which is basically individuals who've contributed to the field of architecture without being architects. So that's kind of cool. So, and, and that's what, in, in your vision and your plan of the building and what it's going to mean 
bridging the Providence and Olneyville corridor and being an art center as well as yeah is, is that yeah uh, I think I think the um, the award actually probably extends a little bit to the work we do together downtown too but um, certainly the building got people's attention it's it's an incredible project uh, Bill Tracy from Track Builders who I think has been a guest on the show before he certainly has he nominated us mm-hmm. um, and they've been fantastic partners working with them has been unbelievably great it's been such a smooth sailing so far so looking forward to uh, to uh, getting in that building in March and mm-hmm. hopefully everything stays on course but Bill nominated us and uh, Doug Brown from Durkee Brown the architect on the project mm-hmm. also kind of uh, spoke a few words about the project and about us but uh, yeah, people are pretty excited about what that's going to do for not only our organization but the whole neighborhood. Well, and it's such a blank canvas. I don't think people um, understand the amount of work that's gone into this, both on the creative side and creating this space and what you would want to do because it is a big blank canvas. But actually, even the funding side of it. Do you yeah. want to speak a little bit to really how that kind of has unfolded and, sure. and what we look forward to? Sure. So we always kind of joke about it. We're known as a creative arts organization, but um, in September we made the cover of Tax Credit Advisor magazine as being a creative funding uh, organization. Our, we did. Yeah. I, I missed that one, Peter. I'm so sorry. You don't subscribe to Tax Credit Advisor magazine? No. no. Well, I'm not sure how many people really do, but uh, to those people involved in that world, it's pretty important periodical and. Uh, and uh, we were the cover cover article of that issue, and um, it's all about how creative we were with our financing, how we're breaking new ground with some of these tax credits, and we worked very closely with Barbara Sokoloff Associates. Mm-hmm. She does um, mission-based funding uh, consulting for organizations. She worked with the Amos House and the Institute for the Study and Practice of Nonviolence and lots of other organizations to raise money for their projects, and she was um, uh, helped us, led us in this whole process. Uh, uh, Derek Farias works with her too and they were instrumental in putting together the funding that make this all possible well I remember seeing the breakdown of how this was going to happen and I looked at it and I went this is like a Mensa test I, I, I just yeah, I, I can't see it but how much do you believe that um, creative placemaking and that idea of creative placemaking has played a part in being able to bring the building yeah it's huge and right. yesterday Rip Rapson the CEO of Kresge Foundation was in uh, Washington D.C. and he delivered a keynote address talking about how important creative placemaking actually is and this kind of challenging and dynamic times we face ourselves in because really it's about community building, isn't it? It's using art to build community, strengthen community, bring people together and celebrate what's good about uh, where we live. So make people proud about where we live. And that's what Waterfire does and that's what this building is going to do. So the Waterfire Art Center is going to be an incredible asset for the whole community. So what are you most excited to see in there? Oh, good question. Uh, well, I'm excited to actually see all of the staff in there. The first and foremost thing is it's our home. We're 22 years old. We've never had a place to live. We always talk about being creative placemakers. We're couch surfers, Peter. Well, we're placemakers without a place. Now we have our own place, and it's pretty exciting that we'll have everybody in that one spot because we have people spread out across the city. And uh, just the economics and the creativity enhancements and the productivity enhancements, Pretty exciting. And the ability that other people will be able to come in, and Waterfire will have a presence that's there 
more than, again, just those 12 times or 13 times a year. And people will be able to not only do that, but have functions in an amazing space that's got great energy. Um, and you, again, you have spearheaded this entire mission. And so congratulations on being an Archistar. I want to get you like a T-shirt <laughs> that says, I'm an Archistar. Um, but that that really is a, what a what a wonderful thing. And for everybody um, out there, you know, this project is not finished. This project, no. you need to come see the building. You need to take a step in because you might want to hold an event there. But we also, we still need to raise funds for it. The fun, that's never over, my friends. We, never. We, we, never over. So if you want to be part of it, then uh, please make sure to reach out to Waterfire and talk to Peter Mello. Um, and that's about it for today. So thank you for joining us on this lovely Thursday. And I hope you had a great day. And uh, you have been listening to Waterfire Ignites Rhode Island.